Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest episode of the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. Now, the past two weeks has epitomized the true highs and lows that one can feel being a Chelsea supporter. On one hand, we saw the resurgence of Ross Barkley in a three lion shirt, as well as the introduction of our very own Callum Hudson-Odoi on the international stage as he registered his first caps for England and actually impressed while doing so. So... That's one hand. On the other hand, we experienced a lethargic, predictable, and Callum Hudson a doyless performance from Chelsea against a lowly, relegation-threatened Cardiff City. Now, before we get started, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Zach Corey, and as always, I'm joined by Andres Velasco, who's actually currently mourning the injury concerns of Venezuelan footballing legend <laughs> Joseph Martinez of Atlanta United. So besides your fellow countrymen going down with a potentially season-ending injury and watching absolute shit from Chelsea last weekend, how was your international break? Well, I mean, we we recorded an episode during the break. So if you guys are still looking for more Chelsea content, you guys should check it out. But um, honestly, this past weekend was kind of a weird highs and lows weekend for me, it, which is typical of a Chelsea fan, but it was like outside of Chelsea. I, uh, my dad called me out of nowhere. He met the one and only Zinedine Zidane while he was in Madrid, which was crazy. Wild. Why don't you, why don't you tell that story? Cause I, I think our listeners would be interested. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it's Saturday evening in Madrid time and my father leaves his hotel room to go down to the hotel bar. Cause they're the only place in the hotel that has the Barcelona match. He sits down, he's just chatting football with the bartender, and then the bartender tells him, oh, by the way, one of my VIP customers is coming by. Um, you can either stay here or or leave, but if you do stay, like, please be respectful, no pictures, no autographs. Um, yeah, just, you know, VIP, I don't want to mess with him. My dad's like, well, whatever, I'm just, I'm literally here watching the game. Enough. He hears this guy go, Buenas noches, Fernandez. And then my dad turns around, and, and what he sees is the beautiful bald head of Zinedine Zidane <laughs> pulling the bar still next to him and just sitting down, just casually sitting down. And uh, the first thing he says, he goes, what, Why the heck do you have that rubbish on TV? And the bar, <laughs> meaning the Barca game, he looks at my, the bartender looks at my dad. He's like, well, the gentleman wanted to watch it. Zidane just looks at my dad and my dad goes, look, man, it was the only game on TV. <laughs> obviously, time passes for a bit. And the obviously, he's in Madrid. So this bartender is a, is a Madrid fan. And he's asking Zidane, trying to get a little info out of him. Like, oh, so how's it going? You got your transfers lined up for next season? And Zidane's like, oh, you know, I can't really say much about that. And then the bartender goes and points again to my dad. He goes, this guy thinks you've got Hazard locked up, but he thinks you might have a little bit of trouble signing Mbappe. And Zidane, again, just looks at my dad and goes, you know, transfers aren't done until uh, Pence puts a paper. And my dad's just like, I, I had no idea what to say to that guy at that point. Like, he was so starstruck. He's like, I, I barely got a few words out, but... Yeah, it's it's just crazy. Like you never expect to actually like meet these like footballing legends just out and about. Like crazy. It's like what do you even talk about when you sit next to someone like that? I would have so many questions. 
<laughs> it, that's the thing. Like, do you do you go ahead and 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 annoy them? Or I mean, he did get do the you like get on your like... knees and and, and <laughs> worship them. I mean, Zizou's easily my favorite player, my my, my favorite non Chelsea player in like the history of the game. So. If that ever happened to me, I mean, I, I I would probably be an emotional mess. I probably wouldn't even be able to control myself. So props to your dad for like holding his shit and. Uh, he he said as soon as the game ended, he sprinted back up and he called me. I was just like, I I can't believe it. So now my dad's <laughs> met Sizu. I've met Villas Boas and Di Matteo. All in the last what two months? The Di Matteo was definitely a few months ago. Villas Boas was back in 2016. So. And it's always in the randomest places. Like, it's always non-footballing related. Like, <laughs> my dad met Zizou in a hotel. I met Villas Boas in a museum. And then Di Matteo in the middle of, like, the Woodlands, which is a North Houston suburb. Like, uh, crazy, crazy. But, um, yeah, that was that was kind of, like, the, the highlight. Um, I'm also, like, an F1 fan, and my favorite team didn't do so good. So, yeah, you know, ups, downs, craziness. A little bit of everything. Chelsea, I mean, Chelsea style weekend. Let's just let's just get right into the craziness. And I guess the root of the craziness was the lineup that Maurizio Sarri put out against Cardiff. Um, so I'll, I'll just go through and name it really quick. Please hold your shocks and awes <laughs> and boos and whistles and jeering until the end, please. So Kepa and goal. Uh, we had Dave and Alonso. Uh, Manning the outside flanks of the back line. We had Rudiger Luiz, our center backs. Jorginho, obviously playing where Jorginho plays as the Regista. Barkley Kovacic ahead of him. Front three of Pedro, Willian, and Iguain. So, what the fuck? <laughs> let's talk about this starting 11. I mean, what? let's put it this way. Maurizio Sarri stated that, you know, these guys were – this lineup um, – wasn't was designed to include the players that stayed with him the last two weeks mm-hmm. and the players that didn't have international duty. But I look down the line, Keppa, Rudiger, Jorginho, Ross Barkley, those guys all played in internationals. So <laughs> is that just a bunch of bullshit or I I mean, I get the front three, like Pedro, Iguain and William, all three stayed. Like that part I was like, you know what? I I, I probably like knowing now how sorry does things, that part didn't shock me. But mm-hmm. like Emerson didn't go and play for Italy. Like Christensen. Loftus Cheek didn't go and play for England. And yeah. Christensen, yeah. Like the crazy thing is that all the players that were on the bench were the players I wanted to start. I wanted Hazard on the left, Cho on the right. Based on form, I wanted Giroud to start for sure. Yeah. Like I, I think he's just been playing better. Uh, in the midfield, I don't see why we don't play RLC as a starter. Conte, undroppable. Jorginho's Jorginho, okay. But then even Rudiger and Luis, I think you flip a coin and you bench one, let them rest, and you put Christensen. And then Aspie yeah. and Kepa, I mean, we, we don't really have much else there. But, yeah, the, the, I looked at the bench because they obviously, like, they took a pan of, at the beginning of the game and showed because Conte and Hazard weren't playing. And I was like, that is literally half the team I would have selected for this match. Like you said, it's relegation threatened Cardiff. Like, why not play Giroud? Why not play Christensen, Emerson, and even Conte and Hazard? And then you just sub them out early. But yeah, that that you know, we 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 moan like, oh, sorry, didn't choose Cho this time, or oh, like 
we would have rather seen coaches than Barkley here and there. But this time I'm actually shocked by like the 11 going into this game. I guess I guess the thing I was most irritated about was the fact that we talked I mean we saw firsthand how well Cho played in the international break and we thought that any logical manager would basically have Cho as one of the first names on the team sheet against Cardiff. This is a must-win game and think about it. Our form has been garbage heading into the international break. The international break actually came at a pretty good time where we could just kind of take a step back, have a deep breath, look at the run-in, the remaining fixtures, and prepare accordingly, right? That's usually what managers do in these situations. And then when they come back, they start with their uh, – they play their strongest lineup. And the best way to kick off coming back after an international break is by giving a good old-fashioned beatdown. And when I saw our lineup, I immediately thought to myself, we're going to struggle because we got guys like Jorginho who doesn't get goals. Kovacic doesn't have an attacking bone in his body. Ross Barkley hasn't been – too great in a Chelsea kit, an England kit, different story. But then you got guys like Pedro and William where you don't really know what you're going to get out of them day in and day out. And Iguain, who's our out-of-form striker, we had a guy that scored a hat trick two weeks ago sitting on the bench. And and, and to be fair to, uh, to Giroud, he should have started the match after um, after his hat trick, and he didn't. Sorry, still opted to go with Gonzalo Higuain. So, yep. I mean, we could talk about we could talk about Ruben Loftus Cheek and his back injury. That's fine. I'm okay with him coming off the bench and being an impact player. I still think he should have started, and I'm going to go off on that a little bit later. But I'll save my energy. Um, Marcus Alonso, why is he still in the team? <laughs> um, it, it, it absolutely baffles me because if you had two weeks to work with that lineup. We know that Marcus Alonso can give you something going forward when he's in form. The man hasn't been in form for over a year and a half now. It's time to give up. It's time to throw in the towel when it comes to Marcus Alonso. You have to start Emerson day in and day out because at this point, you have to start preparing for next season. And playing guys like Marcus Alonso, even guys like Kovacic and Iguain, who are both on loan, they're not even going to be here next year if the transfer ban's upheld. We don't know what their futures hold. Why are they still playing if they haven't been performing? I mean, that was the main thing for me. I just saw too many names on this list that aren't performing and that don't justify starts. Now, the culture uh, – sorry is teetering on a very dangerous line here because the culture of a uh, the, the culture of a healthy, successful football club – and we talked about this before – is having depth and competition in multiple positions – it seems that there's really no competition for the center back position, which is a problem for me because both of our center backs are, are, are out of form. There's no competition at right back with Dave. Okay, that's not Sari's fault because Zapacosta was, you know, not the greatest player. But there's competition for for that left back spot with Emerson and Alonzo. And Emerson hasn't really done enough for me to be dropped. And then you got guys like Jorginho. Obviously, he's the immovable object in that midfield. Conte should be playing whenever he's available. I don't care about, you know, I don't care about rest. I don't care if he played. Who did they even play? They played some crap team one of the days. Um, and then you got guys like Ross Barkley, who, sorry, came out and said, I'm not going to play any of the internationals. Well, Ross Barkley started in both matches, played a majority of both of them, played well, 
So, I mean, maybe you could justify that selection, but what about Iguain? I mean, he hasn't done anything since what? I I'm not sure, but Who yeah, did they, he score the double against Huddersfield? I believe so, but like that's the thing, like there is there seems usually you think it's like a, a merit or form, but but that feels like it's been thrown out the window. It's a dangerous under, game. It, it's and it feels like it's been that way since even before sorry because when Conte, when things went bad under Conte, he wasn't even switching things up either. Is it an Italian thing? I just don't get it. But at this point, like you, you should play the hot hand. Like I just I, feel like <laughs> there was a lot more patience with Conte not making those changes because the year before he won a title with the three at the back, and you know he proved himself. He proved to Chelsea that that system, that philosophy of football works. So mm-hmm. when Conte didn't really change things up um, in t- terms of the 3-4-3 or 3, I mean, he did kind of with the 3-5-2 for a while. But oh, I Conte didn't the, change the, things up. I, I mean, meant I, more of like Alonzo. Alonzo was like yeah, yeah, yeah. still unbenchable back then. But yeah, like yeah. To, today, like I like most of these players, I agree with you. The one thing is like the shitty thing is, is that Iguain, no, he hasn't scored. But if we look back at the last three matches where he's played – the guy doesn't get the ball in the final third. Nobody gives it to him. He's making the move, and then he's just making a. <laughs> then he's just like, well, didn't get the ball again. So like, I'm not. To an I'm extent, not. I'm, I'm like, not really is buying it his that, fault? I, but, I'm not but really is that buying his that. Because he, cre- he's not we, getting anything. We create the most chances in the Premier League. The ball has to find his feet eventually. And I, I spoke about it before when we talk about top strikers, guys like Aguero. Guys like, you know, I hate to say it, but Harry Kane, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. I yeah. mean, those are probably two of the elite strikers in the Premier League at the moment. Those guys fade in and out of games. Look at Aguero. Hardly gets on the ball. He gets two or three opportunities a match and buries one of them. Right. Iguain gets two or three opportunities a match. Does he, and- though? Yeah, like, he did. What are his shot I mean, numbers? Like, I feel like his shots are all forced from outside the box. Like, I... I haven't seen a decent cross be played to Iguain in a while. Like, I have I yet mean, to see it. I have yet to be like, wow, Iguain should have scored that. I mean, like, I, I, when was I the mean, last guess, time we saw that? I, I I guess there's a point there, but then that comes down to Sari and, and and his backing of high of of bringing in Iguain, which the club was reluctant to do under Conte. Let's not forget because Conte right. did want Iguain. Um, the club was reluctant to do that. Apparently, Marina got involved this time around and gave Roman her word from what r- reports say and whatnot that her and Sari both wanted Iguain. That was their guy. He came in, and it's failed miserably. And I guess that's the point is, is Sari and Marina at fault for, for identifying the wrong type of striker? I mean, obviously, this is Sari's system, right? And he and, and he has his idea of what striker will work. But surely it can't be Iguain. I mean, I could beat him in a dead sprint, and and I don't think I've sprinted in the last like maybe four or five months. I mean, it's just it's getting to the point where it's very very frustrating. And and I was listening to the Skaka podcast earlier this week. Great great fucking podcast. One of my favorite non Chelsea podcasts actually. Those guys those guys talk you know across all of Europe in terms of football. But you know, one of them made a really good point. It's hard to defend well when we can't score goals and the defense gets a little bit more leaky. They get less confident in their, in their ability to hold leads. They get a little shaky, a little nervy. 
And I feel like that's part – and I feel like obviously that's an issue with Chelsea now is we're, we're conceding goals, right? Like even to mm-hmm. a team like Cardiff, granted it was a fucking worldie and Camarasa will probably never score a goal like that again, but we're still leaking goals. That's the bottom line. And part of that is due to the lack of attack that we have. We create chances, but we do not score goals. If we score two, three, four goals a match against a team like Cardiff, which we should be doing regardless whether it's on the road or not, then our defense won't be looking as leaky. Right. And and, and I just feel like it's – I feel like our main problem now as a club, it's not necessarily the depth that we have in midfield or defense because I think we could get by with some of those players – it's, they're still not you know, ideal for what Sarri's trying to achieve. But we need a striker that can just score goals. A guy that will get one or two chances a game and score. Now, you said uh, Iguain's not getting service. And I mean, that's a fair argument because he hasn't been getting the best service. But could we have identified another striker that could create his own chances? Oh, I mean, sure. But <laughs> you're asking a lot from the, the board that we currently have. And yeah, yeah like... The crazy thing is, is that I we we kind of mentioned this, and I think we'll we'll get to it later. So I I think we ra- I rather just get into the game first before yeah. I, I drop my my thoughts on how the how sorry ball has evolved at Chelsea or the lack of evolution. But anyways, I mean, <laughs> exactly. I mean we'll, get to, we'll get to that. Um, so I mean, I don't really want to dive into the first half too much. It was a snooze fest. Sorry, ball was non-existent. Misplaced passes, uh, shots getting kicked uh, so high over the bar that it goes out of the frame of the camera. Um, you know, obviously zero shots on target. Andres, I didn't watch the game live, as you know. I had to watch it recorded. But you mentioned uh, uh, in our group chat how you actually wanted to turn the game off, but you kept <laughs> watching because of your dedication for the podcast. Yeah. Now, the sad thing is... When did you send a sex message? Oh my god, this was probably like 10, 12 minutes in, man. Like I I swear <laughs> I have yet to see Chelsea just especially especially now when we're supposed to be I mean, we kept 70% of the possession at the end of it all, but the amount of misplaced passes, unforced errors, like sluggishness, just zero productivity, like it just it was the most – I was already feeling low when that lineup came out. I was like, oh, man, like, really? This is what we're going to come out with? Then, like, the game started, and I was just like, oh, my God. This is actually awful. Like, this is – it was just – my goodness. When halftime rolled, I was just like, wow, thank you. I need some commercials. Like, I'm actually looking forward to commercials because, like, this was awful. Then NBC comes in at the halftime show, and the highlights for the first half were a complete joke. The actual yeah. highlight they showed was a non-penalty call for each team where, mm-hmm. like, a defender pulled on, an, like, a person in the box. Like, that's what the first half brought in yeah. this game. I mean, okay, you brought up halftime, and that's interesting to me. What exactly – I mean, from my perspective, what exactly happens at halftime in Chelsea's locker room in the 2018-2019 season? Because we have been conceding goals – Early in the second half, in in a majority of our, of of our game since the new year, why the hell does it feel like this is happening every week? What do you <laughs> think is happening in the dressing room, or or, or what is sorry doing, or not doing, or telling them, or not telling them? 
man. I, let's try I, to make some sort of logical sense about it. I, I think like – I really think it's one of those things where like you see Sari with his little notepad and whatnot. I really think that he's just trying to jam a lot more information into their brain with my football's answers because it's always my football when you talk to Sari. Mm-hmm. And then these players just come out of the locker room. They're like, my mind just got wrecked. Like It's like when you, you do an all-nighter and your head just – hurts because you have so much information in there i feel like that's what he's doing because these players come out and it looks like it takes them 10 minutes to realize that the game has begun yeah and and it's consistent at this point like sorry he's not the looking at him and his demeanor he's not the guy that's going to come in there and rile them up and be like he's not a motivator. boys yeah like it yeah. doesn't that he's a tactician like he's he's by the book like x's and o's and i could see him just boring and putting them to sleep with just a big whiteboard arrows circles x's and then they come out and they're like still looking at x's and circles and next thing you know cardiff gets that corner seconds into the second half and like you said camarasa just goal of his career it was a beautiful goal i mean i mean let's not kid ourselves when that when that went in i i did watch the second half live i was in i was in san diego i I, celebrating a cousin's birthday I i was absolutely shit faced when i woke up but I still managed to doze off for much of the first half, woke up for the second half, grabbed myself a cup of coffee, perked up a little bit, and I saw that goal go in. The technique on that shot was brilliant on Camarasa's part, but that's all I want to say about it because he's a, he's a non-Chelsea player and I could give two fucks. But in the 52nd minute, Hazard comes in for substitution. Uh, Pedro's the one that makes way. And the game changed completely. Uh- when the head. ball got to Hazard, everything else was still awful. If Hazard was on the ball, it's one of those things where we as Chelsea fans are like, okay, something might happen here because it's Eden. But it was <laughs> at that moment where, where, like, I remember the first second he picked up the ball, he spun one of his defenders. Right. And, and, and got pulled down, you know, it, it, right on the edge of the attacking third. Now, the first thing that popped in my mind when I saw that was, okay, Hazard just came in. Pulled off the sickest turn, beat his man, won us a free kick in a dangerous area. We could get the ball in the box. We could create an opportunity there. Now, my concern with that was it took Hazard coming on for someone to give us that little spark. And the fact that we started the game without Hazard, um, without N'Golo Conte, it kind of made me... Think about what Chelsea will actually be like next year if this transfer ban does hang around and, and if it if doesn't Sarri's get overturned. Still the manager. And if Sorry's still the manager, because I mean we don't we don't have that mercurial that that X factor, that player with that little bit of ability where he could just pull a rabbit out of his hat and, and give you something something positive. And that's exactly what Hazard gave us. Now Loftus Cheek did the same thing. Um, and, and we'll get to Loftus-Cheek in a little bit, but did this worry you too? Like, when yeah. you see Chelsea play without Hazard, like, this might be our winger depth next year. We might have to rely on Pedro, Willian, and Cho. Oh, God. Yeah, it's. I think a better way of saying it is that we don't have a final product player that can do that because we've seen Cho take on players. We see Loftus-Cheek when he comes on that he just feels like he can take anybody on. Obviously, they're nowhere near Hazard. Hazard's 29 at the peak of his powers. And both those guys are like under 23 and, and still growing into their confidence. But yeah, I, I think it comes down to 
how are we planning to set up next season? Who is the guy putting the player, like choosing the lineup and who's actually going to be playing? Because if we're, man, I, I'm just going to come out and say, if we're, if we are staying with sorry and he doesn't change anything, we're fucked. This is what it's going to look like. Yeah. Those first 70, 80 minutes, because I've said this time and time again, the players we have on the field, if we don't get an early goal, they get in their own heads, man. Like mm-hmm. because of the way we play with the sideways passing and stuff, they start overthinking everything. We then are thinking so much that nobody's creating. And then that's where the the lull begins of, of sideways passing around the opponent's box. And of course, when you do that for long enough, somebody forgets their defensive duties and we get hit on a counterattack. So it, it's, it's worrying only if the system and the tactics we're trying to play next season with this crop of players stays the same. And, you know, I I said it. I also said that during the game, like, I thought that this was going to be Sari's last match. Things changed at the very end of this match, but I was like, even a 1-1 draw could have been the end of, I of think- Sari. I definitely think it would have. I mean, but <sighs> sorry, sorry's put himself into this position. Now, like I've had his back for most of the season. Yes, the board let him down, but the board has let every the, all of the last three or four managers we've had down. Now, or or at least the last three or four years they've let managers down. I think that's more fair to say because they did support Mourinho with Costa and Fabregas. But anyways, going back to my point, you know, we talk about the board we talk about the lack of structure we talk about you know this impending transfer ban and all the things that sorry's not in control of and we've used that as a scapegoat for him right Mm -hmm. okay sorry gets a pass this week he doesn't have the squad he doesn't have the players yeah he's playing dave at right back dave's not good for the system he's you know he's playing he doesn't have a backup for Jorginho. That's why he looks knackered. We're too reliant on Hazard. What's new in that respect? But here's the thing. We play our best football when Loftus-Cheek, guys like Loftus-Cheek, guys like Hazard, guys like Callum Hudson-Odoi are on the field. And I know that's a lot saying uh, saying Callum Hudson-Odoi because we've hardly seen him. But based on what we've seen, the kid's pretty fucking good, right? Yeah. Why do none of those three guys start in a match like this? And that's the thing that just absolutely boggles my mind is we're at the stage in the season where systems don't really matter. Teams are Liverpool has changed their system at least three times since the season started. United and, is basically playing without one. Yeah, exactly. And then you got guys like Manchester City. Pep literally throws out a different formation every single week. Klopp has changed the system like we talked about. Pochettino has three or four systems that he goes to that are successful. Uh, you mentioned Man United has a completely new philosophy. Like, forget Man United system. They've had they've had a shakeup like we've had. They went from this defensive park the bus philosophy to this free flowing. We'll be solid at the back, but we'll just let guns blazing in the attack. My point is, all the other top six clubs, even Unai Emery has showed has showed different styles. Playing a mm-hmm. bombing off the left, sometimes dropping one of his two strikers to three, accommodate four, a more powerful midfield. Four, three, three. Exactly, and 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 you can't argue about their squad either because they don't have a starting center back duo that's consistent week in and week out. And like here's like. 
this is my issue with sorry is we see that our best performances against Spurs at home, City in the cup final, Liverpool at home in the beginning of the season, where we deviated from sorry ball. We deviated from his philosophy and his way of playing and pulled out performances because the players got the freedom to do what they want. Yeah, right? it, it, it becomes instinctual, and that's what exactly. I think you're trying to get at when you have yeah. Hazard, Loftus-Cheek, and uh, Cho on the field. At that, When they're all in, it's usually because we need a goal. Yeah. And at that point, those players aren't trying to pass it 30 times on their way to the goal. No. They're trying to make shit happen. But, like, I want to I want to like get the, the, the whole big picture conversation after we finish this match, because this match was wild. Like, yeah, I mean, this was like a soap opera of a football match. And I'll, and the I, first thing I want to talk about is is the chance that <laughs> Barkley just completely butchered mm-hmm. again. Hazard coming on, does the dirty work, starts a three-on-two, drags the defender centrally, and he passes it to an open Barkley, who is profiled to, you know, when you see that pass going, you think touch, right-footed curler around the keeper back post, finish, yeah. or 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 a low cross or a low shot front post, because the, you think the goalie's gonna dive for the wide post, but then. What does Barkley do? He lets the ball roll to his weaker left foot without controlling it, takes an off-balance shot that goes to the atmosphere. What the actual fuck? <laughs> we were down 1-0 at that point. But that's the thing. I mean, I mean, this is the whole, like, debate. We, we saw Ross Barkley play for England. Is Ross Barkley's form for Chelsea, like, a Ross Barkley problem, or is it a sorry problem? I I mean that one might have just been I think I think sorry has messed with uh, Barkley's brain to the point where it, like it's just dead and I think I think this very case was a Barkley problem but yeah I I think that's the case that we're going to make after we we wrap up this match about what are the problems you know we've been talking about are is it a square are the players square pegs trying to go into round holes that are sorry ball or is sorry the square peg to the Chelsea circular hole? Like, and I think that's what we will discuss here in a bit. But um, I mean, just going. Sorry to cut you off, but 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 going back to Ross Barkley, like I gotta disagree with you. I I think it's a sorry problem. Oh, I meant just this specific chance. I, oh, I gotcha, meant gotcha, that, gotcha. That very chance was just like I think that's down to the player. I think yeah. overall, like there, there's a lot of potential in what Barkley can do for a team and. The way that we play football or are trying to because I can't – I honestly can't remember the last time that we actually created a goal through the philosophy that Sarri's trying to implement. But, yeah, there there is a, a very big, like, gap between what he wants to do and what the players can do, I feel like. But, um, yeah, I, I think that we could see a different Ross Barkley under a different manager. And, I mean, we saw it under Southgate. So – yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, I mean, it's just it, – it's frustrating because Sari came in and, you know, we were praising him in the beginning. And, like, this is going to be a shock. I, I hope angry Chelsea fans listening to this because, like, I'm, I'm, I'm about to shit on everything Sari ever knew. But, you know, the guy came in and he claimed that, you know, the transfer window's stupid. I'm a good enough coach. Give me the players that are available to me and I'll turn them into a proper footballing team. Now, who has really, like – 
genuinely improved under Maurizio Sarri. Guys like – I mean it gets to the point where you know Marcus Alonso completely lost his form. David Luiz is not, is, is not reliable in a center back pairing. He needs to be playing in a three or not at all. You know, guys like Dave are not suited to the system, things like that. I mean, we could we, we can nitpick. But I want to talk about the signings that we brought in. I want to talk about Jorginho, Iguain, and Kovacic. They've all come in, and they have all regressed as the season went on. And I guess that's my main issue, is that, okay, if you're not developing the players that you didn't ask for, the players that were just there when you arrived, that's fine. That's Okay. It takes a couple windows. You clear out some of the dead weight. You bring in some of your own guys. We gave him three guys. He brought in three guys, and they have all regressed. Barkley's a decent player. I said that time and time again. I don't think he's Chelsea quality yet. The jury's still out. But in all fairness, like we saw how good he is when he doesn't have as much defensive responsibility and is has the freedom to roam the final third and kind of do what he instinctually wants to. And Sarri's virtually limiting his production because of this fucking like, – like I like to call it uh, cookie cutter. It's cookie cutter football. It's predictable. It's the same week in and week out. There is no final product. The players aren't allowed to express themselves on or off the ball unless your name is Eden Hazard. And, and, and I feel like that's the main root of the problem when it comes down to like – like Ross Barkley himself. Then you got guys like Jorginho who obviously haven't been rotated properly. His squad management is garbage. And, and we'll get to that later. Yeah. Uh, guys like Iguain came in and you know after his first match, we took a look at him and we said his movement's great. He just needs a service. He's still, still not, not getting coming. that service. Right. Kovacic and- came in and, and we he's he doesn't have a position. He's basically <laughs> positionless in this system. Yeah. And, and, you, and you mentioned it like the – right, and the the whole cookie-cutter thing is so true because England's now playing a 4-3-3. Like that's what they were playing uh, this international break. Barkley wasn't playing anywhere different in that role. And in England, you see Barkley making runs into the box, and he Assists, scored. scoring goals, yeah. Yep. He looked great. He but, looked, but he looked us, like the player that, 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 that we were excited to get. Right, but for us – when was the last time Barkley stepped into the box? The United game where he had a tap in to finish it off or to tie yeah. it? Like it, it really has gotten to the point where whatever Sari's doing in training has like it's just been so much I think he's just bored these people to death to the point where it's like they can't they they have this battle in the field, live, balls played. Where they're like, this is what I want to do versus this is what I think I'm supposed to be doing. And yeah. you have like like fractions of seconds to be making these decisions. And it just happens to be that Barkley, unlike Loftus-Cheek or Hazard, is having this sort of mental debate. Because Loftus-Cheek, he's not doing this little pass move, pass move. He's turning and going. Cho, Hazard, you said it. Those guys are just doing their thing. And... If somebody's going to counter argument, well, Hazard has double digits, goal, and assists, none of those in recent time have been through a sorry ball, fluid attack. It's been through Hazard dragging three players one way and then eventually someone actually finishing because his assist numbers should be in the 20s by now if people could actually finish. So that's the whole thing. Like, Whatever at the beginning of the season, I guess, whenever it was a fresh thing in practice, like to move the ball, to go through here and make these runs, it was fine. 
But I guess now that it, in Sari's head, he's trying to perfect it for the players. Like, I feel like it's just gotten to the point where they're like, I, I, I can't take this anymore. And they look just like they don't know what to do. Like the ball goes more sideways than it goes vertically. And that just lets other teams sit down and, and, and set back. So yeah, I, I agree that the player development isn't there recently. And, and those players that have developed have all been the young players who have just lacked minutes and for like lost a chic because of injury. And now that he gets to play, he gets to show his natural born talent because it hasn't been like, Oh, sorry, fixed him. So yeah. It's, 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 it's frustrating to say the least. I mean, I, I want to move on. I want to talk about Loftus-Cheek. I mean, he comes on and we actually start showing signs of life. I mean, Hazard came on, mixed things up a little bit. But once Loftus-Cheek came in, we actually looked like we could probably nick a goal and maybe get a point out of mm-hmm. this match. So I know he's not fully fit, but he needs to start, doesn't he? I mean, right. It's, it, it, we're it, not asking for 90 minutes by any exactly. means. Exactly. Sub him out after 50 if that's the issue, but why not get those goals early? Why wait till we're down a goal? Exactly. I mean, you could easily start Loftus-Cheek and then bring on a guy like Kovacic just to kill the game off, you know, and and, and then we could start passing side to side and just tire Cardiff out. We're 2-0 up. We're comfortable. 3-0 up. Whatever. My thing is, is I know – Sorry has given Loftus-Cheek a run more than any other manager that we've had. But it just seems like Loftus-Cheek has been on the periphery of this Chelsea team for the last three or four years since he even made the squad. Like, it seems like every year, this is Loftus-Cheek's year. RLC's going to go off this year. Nope, this is his year. Nope, this is his year. And finally, we're at the point where this is his year. And I just feel like Sarri is limiting him to this super sub role. And it's not benefiting anybody because we're still chasing games. If you have to rely on using Loftus-Cheek as a super sub, you're using him the, you're, you're utilizing him completely wrong. And I guess that's my main point here is what else does he need to do to get into the team? Because if he's not fully match fit, if he can only give us 50 minutes or 60 minutes, like you said – Give him the 60 minutes. It's not like Kovacic finished 90 minutes when he was starting. I, I feel like Kovacic has has only finished a full 90 like three or four times before pulling up with his hammy. Like, and it happens almost every single time. Kovacic will get it like late into the 80th minute, and, and he always drops down and needs a stretch because he's cramping. But like, my point is we're fighting for a top four spot. Our best players need to be playing every match. And I said it in the group chat after the match was over and I finally like got to calm down a little bit and sobered up actually too. But (laughs) I thought about the lineup and it just reeked of a lineup that said, fuck the Premier League. We're going for the Europa League. And I don't like that. I don't like that mindset. As a club, we're really like – we're really going to focus all of our resources and all of our best players and save them for the Europa League and not the Premier League when the top 4 is not math when the top 4 is still very much mathematically possible. We're 1 point away. I mean, I mean like yeah, yeah. And, and I understand we have to go to Old Trafford, we have to go to Anfield. But guess what? That's the fucking Premier League. You know like that's all the other top 6 clubs and all the other clubs fighting for top 4, Spurs, Arsenal, United, they all had to go to those places too. They all had to play there. They have to go play away matches. I don't understand this whole like 
that's what I mean when I said earlier, like, sorry is teetering a very fine line of uh, – and setting expectations and the bar too low. As a Chelsea manager, you cannot do that. You have to have the self-awareness to know that if you're going to manage a club like Chelsea, you have to compete every single night. Anything less is absolutely, completely unacceptable. So, I mean, you obviously agree with me on on the Loftus-Cheek thing. Yeah, and the, the whole thing is like, why not embrace the offensive power that you have in these players? If if you un- I understand the whole defensive phase thing, but our big issue right now is more about scoring our own, like us scoring, than the other team scoring. Because the team, the games that we've lost where we shouldn't lose are like the one zeros or the two ones or whatever. But that's because we're not scoring first. We're not. Like I can't think of a game where we scored first and lost in recent time under sorry. Like I don't. I can't. Like I. I that's not clicking in my head. I think I think the last time that we conceded first and wound up winning the game was against Cardiff at home. Oh no, and I and I mean backwards too. Like I don't like if we score first, when was the last time that we lost? Yeah. Like if we just go in, I get it. Lots of shit can play ninety minutes, but he can give you a damn good fifty-five. And him, Hazard, Emerson coming down your left, and then once they drag so much attention, they switch the ball to either a Willian or a Pedro or a Cho. Or, Lord forgive, somebody actually crosses the ball to Iguain, who at this point, if those three are on that left side attacking, have pulled players that way, will get the damn goals. But if you're going to put Barkley, who can't take an open shot in the box, won't make runs into the box, Kovacic is allergic to the final third, and Jorginho is never operating that far forward. Like, what are you doing? Like, this... and. And don't get me wrong, Conte on the right side has been phenomenal and he has improved his goal scoring and assist numbers, but that's because the other players haven't done shit. But if you have lots of Sheik in there, I I could put a hundred bucks easy that lots of Sheik's numbers would be better than Conte's in terms of goals and assists should he have been starting all these games, even if he's only playing 60 minutes. And Conte's numbers would be down because then we could have that. 30 mid midfield shift into a 4-2-3-1 kind of thing. Like, sorry does not have the balls to go out there right now and take the the game by the scruff of the neck and just like kill it before it starts. Well, I, I think don't get big, why. I think it's a big reason why. why he's li- I mean, I mean, I'm I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but yeah. the only logic I could possibly come up with as to why he's not starting off this cheek, regardless of the back injury, because I know th- I know those are tedious. I know they take time. He's probably mm-hmm. not going to be 100% until the start of next season, if not, you know, the first couple weeks of next season. I get that. It's a back injury. Those are tricky. But could the reason why he's not starting off this cheek be because Loftus Cheek deviates from the way Sari wants to play. I mean, there's there was a couple times, and I, we see it all the time actually, where Loftus Cheek receives the ball, and instead of playing the easy pass, keeping possession, keeping the ball moving, he spins his defender, beats two or three guys, gets brought down, fouled, boom, set piece. And yeah. as Chelsea fans, we're looking at that and going, this guy needs to be playing every single match. I mean, l- look what he's capable of. But he maybe creates, in Sari's right. mind, he's looking at it as he's not doing what I asked him to you might be onto something but the thing but that's the stubbornness of sorry right like his alternative yeah. is something that 
You could say the same thing about Cho as well because Cho plays like very direct. He 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 gets the ball, he picks his head up, and he wants to beat his man. It's very yeah. similar to Loftus Cheek. And that's what you were saying, like getting these players that make the defender nervous. Mm-hmm. Right now, defenders are like, oh, this guy's gonna get the ball and pass it right back where it came from. Oh, yeah. trembling in my boots here. Like Williams gonna wiggle his foot three or four times above the ball, shift to his right, and pass it backwards. Yeah. So the whole thing with RLC right now is like he should be starting. And we should be embracing his offensive capabilities, but we're just not. And that's just infuriating, especially when we're (laughs) – when most of the times he's coming on, we're down a goal and the other team is just going to sit back. I can't remember Loftus-Cheek coming in as a sub and not impacting the game positively. Those things aren't – I mean, I mean, you like, can't have those th- – that statement does not exist in any encyclopedia. Like that, that never will happen. Because, like, the only matches I could really think of are the ones that are basically, like, you know, the outliers, Man City, Bournemouth, right? Like, those ones, obviously, nobody the had The ones that were dead before they— Before like, he even came on. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, that's the thing, you know? Or, or, actually, I could think of one match where he was average, and that was a Wolves match at, uh, uh, at Molyneux, the first yeah. match. I, that's maybe the only match I could think of, but that's maybe the only match I can think of that he even started in the fucking Premier League. So you know, take that with a grain of salt too. Yeah. Jeru um, comes on final sub. Chelsea are still down a goal. He comes on for Iguain, and this is the interesting thing: is you know, I wasn't opposed to Giroud coming on because it, you know, we could loft the ball into the box. Now we have a point of reference, a guy that Hazard could play off of, Loftus Cheek could play off of. They could ru- make runs past. I mean, we we know what Giroud brings to the table. Mm-hmm. But the thing that stuck out to me was what the fans were doing, the away support. So as a sub was taking place, there were cheers and chants of "We want Sorry out," um, and and "Oh Hudson Adore." That was and going it, on the whole game. The it whole was, game. Yeah, but. It, it, it hit a climax during that substitution because that was a final sub and everybody knew Cho's just not going to get on. Now, besides the look on his face, um, on Cho's face when the camera panned to him, you know, he doesn't come on in a match where he probably should have because William was, did nothing besides block the referee's view on the corner. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Giroud comes on who's – Obviously not the worst option in the world, but you got guys like Houston's very own JJ fucking Watt even tweeting saying Chelsea quote Chelsea not playing Caltech is wild. So Chelsea playing not playing Calamata de is just ridiculous, right? A footballer yeah. playing the wrong football even notices that Cho should be playing. So I mean, what do we make of it? Like why why did Sari not play him? Why do you think? I mean, was it did he genuinely want to go for Giroud, or was oh, it more yeah. of his idea of football? Because Cho doesn't fit the bill similar to the way Loftus Cheek does. How Barkley was coming off the bench before Loftus Cheek beginning of the season. Maybe the yeah. same thing with Cho now is I would rather swap my striker than bring off Willian, who's doing exactly what I'm asking him to do, and bring on a guy like Cho, who's basically a loose cannon on the pitch. And, and in this his isn't, it isn't a full justification. We do have that game midweek where. Here's where where shit will hit the fan is if if Cho doesn't start that game like he will put the nail in his own coffin if Cho does not start midweek but I mean at the moment I was like why why not Cho like you said William hadn't done much Hazard was on like we needed a goal we needed the directness 
But as the game progressed, we obviously were trying to cross it a little bit more. The the crosses were coming on higher and that sort of thing. So I I can see that maybe that was the tactical change. Like, okay, Giroud is there. Hazard does link up well with Giroud. Um, like Giroud tries to make the others around him like get into the box. So maybe that's what he thought we could do better. Um, and he has been saying that Iguain has struggled with like the increase of physicality from center backs that's, to the prem. That's just I don't even want to get into that. <laughs> but that you know I I'm just thinking of of how the game ended and like what we were doing afterwards. But in the moment, like I was with the other with the England away traveling fans. Like this kid just had a perfect international break literally as an eight what is he 18 so yeah he he got to come in as a sub and yeah he 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 came in as a sub both times right he didn't start actually no he started the second game on the right and then ended on the left but in both games he made an impact on the international stage with a group of players he's never played with and yes the competition level was low but like so is cardiff like I'm not asking this. This wasn't me asking him to to get subbed on against City. This was me asking him to get subbed on against Cardiff. So should he have played? Yeah, he should have played. But here's the freaking crappy part, and we're about to get to it. Because of the way this game ended, Sari's decisions in his own mind are completely justified. Yeah, and and you know that's what he's thinking as well. Um, I mean, I want to fast forward a little bit. 84th minute, offside gate. Um, the refs basically get the assist for the goal. Basically what happened, we earn a corner kick. Um, William steps up to take the corner and Aspie eventually scores off of a flick from Marcus Alonso who ran near post, flicked it on Aspie. Aspie was about two yards offsides. Refs didn't call it. Apparently William Zafro blocked the ref's view. If you think we're joking, we're, we're not like this is, ac- this is an <laughs> Match actual of the day real did thing. Like a- a virtual reality. Oh, with thing. Jamie Carragher? That was yeah. comedy. Yeah. Like they yeah, actually went funny. out of their way to find out how this could possibly happen because it was such an egregious offside. I mean, that's basically everything that needs to be said about that, right? Like we didn't deserve it. And the match, to be honest, we shouldn't have even won this match. Loftus Cheek's goal should have been the equalizer. Yeah. Um, and that probably you know what really have pissed even, me off from that goal, yeah. though. Mm. Aspie's celebration. He needs to work on celebrating, man. No, no, no it, it, it was just like poorly timed. Like, I'm glad you enjoy scoring for Chelsea, but like at that point, as the captain, the captain, you grab the ball and on your way back to the halfway circle, you cheer on the away fans. But this whole like, I don't know, the theatrics of what he was doing and that by the corner flag, I was just like, dude, no, we've played, we've been outplayed by a relegation side for far too long in this game for you to celebrate like we've been the top dog like that really irked me like i, was I mean we could celebrate like that if we were in like liverpool's position like they were last weekend where they're fighting for a title they play like right. shit and they pull out a lucky victory but like they still have something positive to build on we had nothing positive to build on after this game we didn't learn anything about ourselves we didn't learn anything about we didn't learn anything about the way we play we didn't learn anything about players we didn't improve on anything since the international break it was basically the luckiest win that we'll have all season and probably for a few seasons to come because now that now when VAR gets introduced decisions like Aspies are going to get overturned decisions like Rudiger's are going to get overturned Rudiger should have been sent off 
I think that's, you know, I know there's a lot of debate on, you know, Kepa was always going to get to the ball and their striker wasn't running directly to the ball. I mean, what do you think about that, Andres? Rudiger gets sent off if you're the referee in that situation? <laughs> I mean, yeah, last man takes out the one offensive it's player. It's self-explanatory. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> the contact came before Kepa touched the ball, period. Yeah. In yeah. my book, th- this ref had it all over the place, so, like, he was he was wrong in all the calls and and for once the the football gods were on our side and we weren't on the shit end of the stick. Um, whenever this was happening live, I was like, man, poor Cardiff City. And and I, I like I think I bought into like their whole season story, like their relegation side, you know, the whole Emiliano Salah tragedy. Like, man, they scored against Chelsea first and they've been playing better. And they were up for it, right? But then. You hear Neil Warnock's like comments whenever he got points from bad refereeing decisions, and now he was saying like, "Oh well, you know they're part of the game. Sometimes they're bad, sometimes they're good, and this time they were on my side." Well, thank you, Neil, because now you've given me a reason to enjoy the fact that we actually got oh, lucky God, with the referees. So hate Neil Warnock. <laughs> But, so, but see, seeing him at the end of the game, staring down the referees while applauding—that was so dumb. That was pure. <laughs> comedy like that is the reason why guys like men and blazers still have a job like <laughs> right uh, not not saying they're crap i love them i listen to them every week but like it's funny that you know like they made a living off of making fun of people like neil warnock and without those guys you'd think how much more boring football would be but but not in the sense that like neil warnock brings this new revolutionary style he's just really fun to point and laugh at because he looks like a peacock he complains about everything he was complaining to sorry about the offsides call like like sorry had anything to do with that like there was <laughs> what is sorry going to do oh yeah excuse it. me referee take away the much needed goal i need to try to keep my job of course sorry's going to dispute uh, disputed when when a manager comes up to his face Sorry yeah. probably didn't even know that Aspie was offside to begin with because of the right. angle that he was standing at. So he was probably just saying, like, the ref didn't call it. He wasn't offside. And Sorry had a point in, in the moment, in the heat of the moment. Right. And the whole thing is, is, like, when Sorry, when we got screwed by referees, Sorry didn't go at the other coach. He went, went to the, the referees referee. after the game with the laptop and showed them their mistake. Like, yeah. There, there's ways of handling it, and Neil Warnock did the most Neil Warnock thing. But we have one more I thing that happened. Thought, this. Sorry, sorry, you really good? quick. I thought Neil Warnock handled it in, in in the most peaceful way possible for Neil Warnock. Well, after the game, but during the game, all he kept doing and his whole staff was doing was putting up the two fingers, flaring and yelling, three eyebrows, two hairs. effing yards, two yeah. effing yards, and they did that for the last like twelve minutes. And I feel like that honestly distracted his players, which led to what we're about to talk about now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, b- b- before we get to the final thoughts, uh, Ron had a, a good point. Our good friend Ron, a.k.a. Bone Daddy, or Bone Daddy Deluxe, as Sam likes to say. Um, Chelsea finally wake up in the final 10 minutes. RLC gets, to, gets the, the game-winning header, and Ron wants to know said, quote, as excited as I was to see the truth, a.k.a. RLC, score yesterday, does it bother you that it may have saved Sari's job? And I think that's a really, really good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean... Would we, you have rather Would you have rather picked up only a point and had Sari sacked? Wow. 
Oh god. I I would take the three points any day of the week. Well, like I don't think twice right, when it comes right. to Chelsea. When I mean, matches, I think we but. can take the three points and still sack him, and that's that's where <laughs> I'm at right now. Like my, you're gonna do a reverse Solsk jar, where, like after two losses, he gets hired as Man U manager. Like after a win, sack. Yeah. Sorry. So my my thing is that <laughs> I've been, we we said it before. Like we thought that he was gonna be a coach that improved the players and whatnot. But one thing that that Conte did well and that he said is that you're as a manager you're supposed to be a tailor that makes the outfit that fits the players best mm-hmm. and he brought the three in the back to the EPL which never had been brought it actually failed miserably under Van Gaal at United and he brought that because that's what his current batch of players needed and we won the league and on the complete opposite end of the spectrum Shit's hit the fan since November for far. Sorry. We've seen like glimpses of us winning games here. It's been sprinkled here and there. Um, but he has not done a single thing to to make to play to his players' strengths. And that's the thing that bugs me. Again, we're going into a season where I mean we we may get Champions League. And and let's be real, next season's Champions League is is almost like we're just doing it to cash to get a little bit more cash in our pockets. Mm-hmm. But it's a season where we're not going to get – we're not – I still don't think the transfer ban is going to get lifted. And if it does, I don't think Sarri's going to get to say, I need five more players to play Sarri ball. He doesn't Especially, have the right to. He hasn't and, proved and, it. And that's where I think that it's not that Sarri's a bad manager. It's just that Sarri's not the right manager for Chelsea. I feel like, I feel like Sarri could have been better suited or could have been better off heading into the summer if he decided to go with a formation like you said that suits the team just so he can you know patch things up for now and get through the end of the season and then he could go up to the hierarchy and be like look i wasn't able to play my style of football because of the players i had but i made it work i got into the top four now you guys could see that i could get a team into the top four now just imagine what we could do if i get four or five of my guys in and we could play my style of football but the fact that he's we came in from day one playing this 4-3-3, sideways passing. I understand he's trying to, you know, create triangles all over the pitch and and have these, you know, six, seven pass buildups to goal goal scoring opportunities. But we're seeing 20, 30, 40 pass buildups leading up to a half chance to get skied over the bar because Ross Barkley opted to let the ball roll to his <laughs> left foot instead of settling it with his right and just clipping it to the far corner. Like, yeah. that's that's the thing. And I feel like sorry dug his own grave in that respect. And um, and and like I said, the, 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 the system, like, look, you don't have fullbacks that overlap. Change what you want your players to be doing with the ball. Mm-hmm. They're not going to overlap ever. Aspie's never going to make it that far. And when Alonzo wants to, but then he leaves a huge gap behind him. Yeah. Um, then you have the man management side of it and Garbage. he hasn't convinced Hazard to sign a, a new deal. I, I like next last, I heard Hazard's off. Like last I heard yeah. he hasn't put a, a new sign, a new deal. And then who we thought was going to be the next greatest thing after Hazard eventually left is also thinking about leaving. So, so now keeping sorry is actually ruining our future with the tools that we have to improve. Like that's, that's where I'm like, man, I, you're not helping yourself here. And every time he talks to the media, it makes it worse when he talks about these things. Yeah. He's like, oh, he's 18 years old, blah, 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 blah. Listen, I, 
you, somebody needs to go to and be like, anymore. dude, you're you're in the capital of England and you're talking about like their greatest prospect coming up. Like he's nothing. You really yeah. want to get killed. Like yeah. I and he's saying like, oh, I'm getting I mean, used nobody to says it. nobody said that about Mbappe when he burst onto the scene. <laughs> and like I understand like he was kind of uh, uh, I'm forgetting his name now. Monaco's coach. Leonardo Jardim. Yeah. Jardim was kind of forced to play him against City in the Champions League last year, two years ago, whenever it was. But he came on, he did his thing, and he kept playing. Right. And then Joe comes because, on, he does so, his thing, and, and he, he gets doesn't sad get again. another start. Right. Yeah. And that's the whole thing with that Maradona. Nobody talks about Mbappe being too young. He's 20 and, years old, and he's probably the third best player in the world right now. And And I think the issue now is because he's not playing – that it's making all this hype happen. Like, had we just been playing Cho and let him make his mistakes and then be like, hey, buddy, like, you're not playing too well. We're going to try to put Pedro and William back in and just, like, do it that way, we wouldn't be getting to this point. But now he's literally created a cult following for this kid based on the fact that he's not playing. And the hype and, and the chance and, like, it's getting – like the fact that he's getting booed and cussed at, like, sorry, at every game right has now, it, has it's there not. Been a Chelsea manager that's been more hated than sorry in the Abramovich era. I know they asked this question on the fan cast, and I just thought it was interesting I mean, to get your but, take. Benitez, because of his personal stuff, because he hated Chelsea when he was a Liverpool manager, but like, he's very nobody, reminiscent of Benitez. Nobody is like gotten that treatment. Like when Scolari was bad, like. We we fired managers for way less than what Sari has done. When did we fire Scolari? November. Yeah, it was it was early. The, and then like the it's taken a lot less is the point I'm trying to make. Like we fired Ancelotti after winning the double. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> it's taken a lot less to to pull the trigger. And we fired Conte after the uh after a cup after winning the FA, FA Cup. cup. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just like we've done it for far less. And, and my biggest fear is that we're going to somehow qualify for Champions League, whether it's through the league or winning the Europa. And he's going to say, I did what you asked me to do. And like what's really going to take here is for Marina to just be like, damn, I messed up by bringing this guy in. Yeah, because. Because all the things that we're seeing now, it's not like they're new. Like people have always said he's stubborn. People have always said he doesn't rotate much. We, well, the one thing that people did say that we are still yet to see is the the most beautiful football in Europe, because we saw it for the first 12 games. Again, I think some of the vault goes everywhere else, like goes elsewhere. Like the players not continuing that progress. But after we first lost to Tottenham, we haven't seen beautiful football to that extent. Yet, unless it's a Europa League, and it's and we've been playing pub sides there, so yeah, it, it is a shame that Loftus Cheek, the person who I want to score, who I want to be playing well, essentially saved Sari's job. But it's not because Sari's been under. It's not because unfortunately Sari's been underperforming. It's because he's underperforming by his own like fault. Yeah, it, it, it this this comes down to Sari like. When you're midway through the season, the, the windows went went and are gone. Like we are at a point where you have to work with what you've got. Tottenham, as much as they've been sucking recently, 
are in top four after missing three of their best players for key parts of the season. I think they've dropped like 13 points or something like that since the new year. (laughs) Yeah, that's ridiculous. And it's been since like Harry Kane came back. But my point is that when Harry Kane and Deli Ali weren't there, Pochettino found a way to make it work. Yeah, that's what great managers do. Right. I mean, exactly. We're gonna get we're gonna get into this a little more in part two. Um, but give me in ten seconds or less, Andres. Final thoughts on the match. Um, it was extremely embarrassing. I mentioned like Everton this season. That last Everton match was probably the worst I felt like we played. But I think that this match for those eighty minutes was by far the worst I've seen us play and the most like detached and just like feeling nothing that I've had like in a really, really, really long time. And it kind of just like, I'm ready. Like this game was kind of one of those where I'm like, I'm ready for the season to be over. Turn the page. Let's start again. In a weird way. I feel exactly the same. We should have been down to 10 men. That should have been curtain call on the match. We should have lost one nil. We're lucky to beat a team like Cardiff. And that's fucking shameful. That's all I have to say about the game. Um, so, yes, I mean, this is the end of part one, obviously, if you guys are still listening. Part two, we're going to record right now, so make sure you guys look for that one. Also, we go over other Chelsea news. We had a lot of Twitter questions that we didn't fit into this episode, so make sure you check that out. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Romans Empire Pod. Uh, hit us up on on, uh, on our email if you have questions, RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. Uh, make sure you guys reach out to us. Let us know if you like the show. We're on iTunes. Uh, we are on SoundCloud. We're on all third-party apps. Make sure you guys check out part two. Um, we'll talk to you then, and keep the blue flag flying high.